Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, July 31st. What the heck? 2018. I'm Broadway <laughs> World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star James Marino. How is it the end of July? My Lord. You know, living down here in Florida, I often forget what seasons it is. So what season it is? Because yeah. we, I mean, it's all summer, summer, hell, summer. I mean, that's really our seasons. But uh, but I, end of July is crazy. But uh, James, before we get into the theaterish news, um, this really isn't theater news. So I wanted to talk about it at the very top. Uh, but obviously there was um, a Ronan Farrow New Yorker article last week talking about um, sexual misconduct over at CBS and specifically focusing on the network CEO Les Moonves. Not really theatrical in relation other than that he has been a champion for the Tony Awards airing on CBS for his entire duration at the network. Um, yesterday, CBS's board said that they would be doing an, an independent uh, review and investigation, but Moonves would remain in his position while that investigation is ongoing. We have no idea what's going to happen there. One thing I do want to say, though, is if you'll remember back in October of 2017, uh, CBS did sign on to host or to air the Tony Awards through 2026. Now, who knows what kind of legal mumbo jumbo is in there if a new network head decides that he or she wants to renege on that. I don't know if there's a buyout of some sort, but unless something crazy happens, we shouldn't expect um, anything to happen with uh, the Tony Awards on the network, but with everything going on, it's probably worth talking about and at least putting at the forefront of people's minds. So one of the best uh, podcasts out there, KCRW The Business, uh, Kim Masters podcast, uh, she did a little segment on this, um, not so much the Tony Awards, but just Les Moonves and CBS and talked about the politics of it. Uh, uh, Sherry Redstone, Sumner Redstone's daughter, is uh, has has been uh, in a legal fight with uh, CBS and Les Moonves for many years, and and they think that um, they they talked about in the in the KCRW piece that if she were to get control of CBS, that um, they might part it out and sell assets uh, out. And which would totally change the way that CBS uh, is on the landscape these days. So this is something for Broadway fans really to pay attention to because it could really change the whole Tony Awards thing. Because uh, if yeah. CBS does, you know, if, if CBS is spun out into a new company, has got a new CEO, there, you know, uh, is it likely that the new CBO is going to be a champion for the Tony Awards like Les Moonves is? That's uh, it's this hard is, to tell. This is a really important thing that's uh, that's happening right before our eyes, so uh, we should keep an eye on it. Yeah, I mean, and that's what we're seeing with Disney buying um, a, a lot of the Fox company's assets, but not all of them. They are not taking Fox News or the Fox TV station, uh, but the Fox network itself is going through a lot of changes where they're moving away from a lot of scripted programming, moving more to sports and reality shows. So if something happens with CBS, we could see a, a substantial change like that as well. So I, I hadn't heard that yet. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. All right. So let's get into the news itself. Uh, yesterday, PBS announced the lineup for great performances this fall. Yeah, sticking with TV, um, it's a pretty interesting uh, lineup for great performances this year with, uh, you know, some, I mean, Broadway connections across the board. However, no 
actual Broadway productions this year, which we saw quite a bit of last year. We saw Falsettos last year. Um, we saw the She Loves Me Again. And we saw a documentary about Hamilton and a documentary about In the Heights. This year, a couple documentaries, a couple shows, but no actual Broadway productions in there. All this was announced on the first of two days at PBS uh, that PBS is presenting at the Summer Television Critics Association meetings in Los Angeles, beginning with great performances on Friday, November 2nd. It'll run the entire sweeps month. PBS will present the West End production of An American in Paris, which will screen in cinemas this September and will star original Broadway leads Robert Fairchild and Leanne Cope. So while not a Broadway production, it's a transfer of the Broadway production with the two Broadway leads, so that's pretty close. The next week, they will show the UK's production of The Sound of Music Live, which aired on ITV in December 2015, and I'm not saying that I might have seen a a copy of that anywhere, Um, but with all due respect to one of my favorites, Laura Benanti, and of course Christian Borle, this one might be better than the one that aired on NBC a few years before. This one starred um, a name familiar to a lot of uh, New York theater fans, Julian Ovendeen, as ca- uh, Captain Von Trapp, and I probably screwed up that name, Ovenden, Ovendeen, whatever. Anyway, um, and Kara uh, uh, Toynton, or Taunton as Maria. Um, so it's, uh, it's really fantastic um, and, and a little bit more straightforward and realistic and less sugary uh, than the one we saw on NBC a few years before that. The following week in November will be John Leguizamo's Road to Broadway. And don't forget, he filmed Latin History for Morons last month at NJPAC for an eventual Netflix release. So I would not be surprised if the release of that Netflix special is timed to coincide at least closely with this uh, PBS documentary. And then finally, a documentary that I think was supposed to be a part of last season's great performances uh but it there was a bunch of confusion about it we weren't really sure because it shared at the time the name with a broadway show prince of broadway it has now been retitled as harold prince a director's journey so we're finally going to get to see that that's not a, a bad lineup by any means james there's you know at least one ish Broadway show with an American in Paris. So um, that'll do. And they've got other great things in there as well. They're going to give uh, a Bernstein tribute uh, from Tanglewood uh, a couple days after Christmas. There's going to be a Grammy salute to Neil Diamond, Tina Turner and Queen and some other folks in there too. So lots of good stuff coming up on PBS this fall. PBS sticking to it like R- Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, they're not going to At least five more years. No, at least five more years. Exactly. <laughs> Notorious RBG doing more push-ups than me. I don't know how that Planking. works. Oh, my God. She can plank. Yeah, yeah. she was at the Kennedy Center uh, the other day seeing Dave, I think. She saw Dave? Yeah. Or? She, she saw Dave she, uh, at Arena Stage. She also, there was a, um, there, it's actually in New York now, the um, the Originalist, which is a one-man oh, yeah. show about yeah. Antonin Scalia. Um, she, when it was in Washington, D.C., she went and and did a talkback kind of um, with the actor who played Antonin Scalia. So uh, she is a, a theater fan, and uh, there is no doubt that we should all aspire in our lives to be more like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> That's right. I screwed that up. Dave is, of course, not at the Kennedy Center, but at Arena yeah. Stage where they have ample parking. Ample parking. Oh, good to know. Yeah. 
seems to be a uh, ongoing uh, feud there among the cast and parking spots backstage. So ah, okay, <laughs> isn't very it? funny. All right, uh, tell us about last week's Broadway grosses. Yeah, things looked better last week than they have recently, and not just because Bruce Springsteen got back to almost his traditional playing schedule. Overall, Broadway was up over seven and a half percent last week to come in at thirty nine point six three million dollars. Only eight of the main stems 32 shows actually saw week to week declines last week. So that's good. And only two of those saw dips of more than eighteen thousand dollars. So six of those shows saw fairly modest decreases. The boss went from two to four performances. So he was the biggest gainer, of course. But he was followed by Pretty Woman, which went from two to seven. And while, of course, you're going to have a huge gain if you go from two to seven performances, but Pretty Woman grossed $1,068,493 on just seven shows last week in previews. Now, obviously, James, it's still very early, and I think a lot of the people um, who went and saw it last week or in the first, you know, whatever nine performances it did, those are people who love the movie, and they bought tickets long before, for the most part. Sure. It had been seen on Broadway, so who knows what happens as word of mouth gets out and once reviews come out. But this is certainly a good sign for Pretty Woman. You would much rather be in their position than in the position of getting the band back together or, or head over heels, which we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. Um, obviously, Hamilton, of course, was at the top with just under $3,153,000. Lion King was next at $2.78 million, although it had a nine-performance week. Um, it was followed by Harry Potter at 2.25, Wicked also on a nine-show week at 2.2, Frozen at 2.1, and Hello bet i mean hello midler <laughs> um at 2.07 because it was not doing that when she wasn't there um they were followed by the aforementioned springsteen on broadway dear evan hansen aladdin mean girls my fair lady the phantom of the opera the book of mormon come from away pretty woman school of rock the bands visit spongebob squarepants and the boys in the band all above seven figures waitress anastasia and beautiful were next all above eight hundred forty-five thousand. waitress and beautiful have long recouped and i would imagine that anastasia will soon as it shows no signs of slowing down so those three all seem to be doing fairly well despite the fact that each of them to a certain degree more waitress and beautiful are always kind of the uh, the butt of of closing rumors but we'll see what happens with those as we get into the fall those aforementioned new musicals that i talked about head over heels and getting the band back together are going to need some help and quick if they ever want to get to that recoupment rate despite adding two performances to get to a full uh, schedule of eight shows getting the band back together only picked up $32,701 to gross just over 262 k Can you imagine? You, you add two performances and only pick up about you know $16,350.50 a piece. That's not a good sign. You know what's really interesting about this is that uh, they $262,000, but they're playing 86% capacity. So it, it extremely discounted tickets and yes. papered houses and things like that uh papering being uh the the term used for free tickets yeah um, their 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 average ticket is under $40 which is a rush ticket for a lot of shows and obviously we've talked about this opening in the summer has become a trend that a lot of shows are going to do but the ones that have done it successfully have been things like Hamilton. I think Dear Evan Hansen was pretty close, you know, pretty early in the, the summer. You know, things like getting the band back together, man, that's that's tough. Same thing with Head Over Heels. Um, I know you take a theater when you can get it, but I mean, head or getting the band back together. Remember, this announced it was going into the Velasco at this time a year, year ago. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's rough. It, 
Well, uh, let's remember also Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen had wildly successful off-Broadway runs here in town. So they're highly anticipated. But uh, when I looked at the uh, $262,000 for getting the band back together, I was like, oh, my goodness. The place must be empty, but it's 86% full. They had 6,500 people go to the theater last week to see the show. So uh, maybe it's just uh, building up um, building up an audience Absolutely. through inexpensive uh, tickets. I mean, they, they must have planned for it to have an 86% uh, audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's very similar to what's happening over at the Hudson with Head Over Heels, where even though they only had a gross of $320,745, they were at 88% capacity. Now, what's interesting about that is they picked up $36,345 from the previous week, despite the fact that it opened last week. So they would have had to have comped a bunch of journalists, a bunch of people for opening nights. Um, so that's actually a, a good sign for Head Over Heels. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's you know, on track to run for five or six years. But the fact that they picked up money during that week is a positive thing. I think for them, the next two or three gross reports will be very telling to see if the positive word of mouth from inside the community translate to actual ticket sales or, and this is what I think could be interesting, James, if the kerfuffle over Ben Brantley's review actually penetrates the ticket buying audience more than an actual positive New York Times review would have. I'm of the opinion (laughs) that they got more positive word of mouth and attention because of what Ben Brantley wrote and everybody coming to the show's defense um, than if Ben Brantley would have said other short of it's the greatest show of all time. But it was good. I liked it. It's not great, but it's good. You know, I think this might actually be better for them in the long run, which I've done a complete 180 on this show when I first heard about it and Gwyneth Paltrow's name was at the top. I wanted nothing to do with it. But now I am very much for not having seen it very much championing uh, this show and, and hope for the best for it. But moving on here, looking at some other shows that might have to start considering their long term plans. And if they want to buckle in for the long haul or close up shop, Karis. Carousel had its worst frame on Broadway last week with just over $702,000. Scott Rudin, the producer, of course, is not shy about closing shows and quickly look at Hello, Dolly, even if they're still making some some profits. So this is one to keep an eye on, as is Once on This Island, that dipped just uh, a bit, a small bit to 557000 last week. Again, that's an interesting one, playing at 93% capacity at 70% of its gross potential. Um, it's in a different kind of space than a lot of other theaters, so it, it's tough to just base it on the grosses itself. Well, Another let me, show, let me uh, uh, if Scott Rudin were more like uh, Fran and Barry Weisler, uh, would you take uh, Bette Midler and Renee Fleming and swap them for a week? <laughs> that might be more of a uh, like a minor league baseball kind of promotional thing. But um, I mean, I can't I, I mean, I can't even imagine Bette Midler trying to sing Never Walk Alone. But uh, could you imagine Billy's death scene with uh, oh. with jo- with jokes in it? <laughs> her trying to stick uh, dumplings in her mouth. Uh, no, I could not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because. $702,000 is not awful, although it's a yeah. big show. Um, it's only playing at 43% of its gross potential. So, well, again, while these numbers in a vacuum don't mean a ton because we don't know what the underlying financials are, we don't know what its weekly gross or what its weekly nut is, we don't know what the, what the grosses mean. But when you see a 43% of its gross potential, you know they're budgeting you know, their their break even point has to be doing much higher than that. So you have to imagine that Carousel is losing 
losing money on a weekly basis, especially because the grosses continue go de- to go down on a weekly week uh, on a week to week basis. So so we'll see. But another show that everyone assumes will shutter soon is Kinky Boots. But it did a healthy seven hundred forty seven thousand dollars, especially because it recouped years ago. And if they can get another star or two like they have with Wayne Brady and uh, some of the different rock stars, I could see this lasting for a while. So a lot of people are for uh, you know, foreshadowing the closing of Kinky Boots and what else is going to go into the Hirschfeld. I'm not counting them out yet because this is a show that's proven time and time again that it has a much better length and longevity to it than people imagine going all the way back to when it opened. I think no one expected it to, you know, to win Tony's or to stay as long as it has. And we're now looking at it five years later. So, so we'll see what happens. Um, wrapping up here, summer had its second worst eight show week during its Broadway run and seems to be coming down to earth after a strong run in the late spring and early summer. So keep your eye on that one as well. But James, we've talked about this before. Beautiful always did better in the fall than in the summer. Uh, and obviously, Carol King is much different than Donna Summer, um, and the shows are a little bit different in terms of the the fun vibe of them, but could be playing to similar audiences. So we'll have to wait and see how Summer does in the fall, if you follow my mixed seasonal mm. metaphors there. Well, you have no seasons in Orlando, so this is very confusing. Summer, summer, hell, and summer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So uh, before we go on to the next session, two very, very quick things. You and I talk so often during the day that we don't I, – I, I forget what's in the show, what's not in the show, and things like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, fair. And, and we, di- we didn't uh, – we never talked about Hillary going to see Hello, Dolly and, and your oh, wonderful right, right. tweet. What was that tweet? Oh. I don't remember. What did I say? Oh, she's not closing anymore. Yeah, uh, Hillary not, is taking yeah. over for her. <laughs> yeah, that's that. I, Hillary's I taking over for yeah, uh huh. Scott yeah. Rudin's going to extend a, it. Yeah, yeah. They're they're pulling a, a play that goes wrong and uh, rescinding their closing notice. Can you imagine? Can yeah. you imagine the grosses for that thing? That would be amazing. <laughs> Hillary's probably the only one that could do better grosses than Bet. You know? Serious or Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen is Horace Vandegelder. Oh, I was I was thinking Dolly, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, and the other thing is, is did you hear about the uh, mistake with Hello Dolly at, at uh, t- Ticket Ticketmaster Telecharts? So which one are they? No, that's Schubert. So that would be Telecharge. Yeah, Telecharge. Right? Yeah, that's right. Um, no, I did not. Uh, so there was a, a mistake. Uh, a huge discounted ticket went online, just like sort of what happened to to getting the band back together. Yeah. Uh, and they locked it out and didn't honor the tickets. <laughs> well, yeah. Scott Rudin's like, yeah, that's yeah. not happening. Yeah. Scott Rudin had somebody summarily executed because yeah. of that, probably. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have a couple of uh, out-of-town reviews. So tell us about that. Yeah, just uh, real quick, uh, a couple shows that had a significant amount of, of of buzz coming into them, and they've gotten a few notices. They're still trickling in, so these aren't full by any means. But first, on Friday, you'll remember I told you that Ben Brantley made Lem, uh, Lempica. I, I'm, I'm always worried I'm going to screw that up. Lempica, Lempica, I, I'm not sure, at the Williamstown Theater Festival, a critic's pick. So you know he liked it. I'm not going to bother to read his review. You can find it if you want. Um, but... What's interesting is he liked it so much he made it a critic's pick. Not many of the other reviews actually were nearly as kind as the New York Times, which is not how that normally works. Normally, the out-of-town critics uh, or the, the local critics 
like shows that that do out of town tryouts in their neck of the woods a lot better than the New York critics do. But Steve Barnes of the Times Union in Massachusetts said, quote, as ambitious as an epic, but with a book as loose and baggy as a 19th century novel, the new musical Lempicka uh, getting its world premiere at the Williamstown Theater Festival is this summer's exhibit A of why developing new work is to be applauded and why an out of town tryout is absolutely necessary to identify flaws, though expansive in its sweep. The book feels diffuse overambitious in the scope of what it tries to take on. Kritzer's book loses focus as the nearly three-hour running time progresses through its final hour until we're no longer sure what was supposed to be important and why. Okay, not great. J. Peter Bergman of the Berkshire Edge said, quote, the score is principally a constant thumbing, thrusting, beat-driven, unmemorable collection of musical moments in which the same lyrics are repeated and repeated rather than developed. There is a sexual excitement in the score, but not much relevance and nothing much that delineates any connection or representation of the World War I years, the Roaring Twenties, the Heartsick 1930s, or the Big Band 40s. There are no ballads in Act One and a few more acceptable songs in that vein in the second act. While the score has excitement, it has no true melodic connection with the ear, mind or heart of the listener that's not good um those local reviews however might not be enough to stop the show because i am just guessing here i'm connecting dots with my strings on my cork board here uh, but on friday reprise 2.0 out in california they announced that they would be replacing the previously announced Victor Victoria that was going to be part of their season with the world uh with the world goes round that that candor and ebb review that used to be called and the world goes round i don't know when they dropped the and but they have mm. um, this is noteworthy because carmen cusack who co-stars in limpica was scheduled to take on the iconic julie andrews role now i don't know if that means that they're going to try to transfer this show in to new york uh in the spring it couldn't hurt i mean there's not there we don't have a ton of original musicals new musicals coming in that um seem to be competing for a tony prize so it could be a good move from a producing standpoint but just keep an eye on that okay so next let's go from massachusetts to the nation's capital as dave as you mentioned opened at arena stage where there is ample parking uh not a ton of reviews in yet but paul harris of variety said quote there's much to admire in the homespun fable about integrity and patriotism wrapped in an inviting package filled with buffoonery and self-deprecating humor in an even-keeled production from top-tier creators and talent any resemblance to actual current White House occupants, occupants is strictly fortuitous. That is, if you overlook the Twitter-prone president who can't spell. Call it a timeless show that couldn't be timelier. That's a fantastic uh, uh, little summation there. He also went on to say of the leading man, Drew Galing, uh, quote, he plays, quote, the unscrupulous president and the unassuming nerd who lands the big guy's job, plus his broken marriage, too. Galing nails the yin and yang acting assignments by balancing sneers and attitude with goofy grins and ungainly movements, while his strong tenor voice leads the company with assurance. So I. I don't know if this is looking to jump to Broadway right away, but if the other reviews that eventually come out for this one are as strong, maybe it should be competing with Limpica to try to uh, see which new musical should get to Broadway first. Hmm. Okay, so what do we have in the recommendation section? Okay, just real quick, I have a couple of social media videos that popped up um, over the weekend and on Monday. The first is 
uh, speaking of Beautiful and Carol King, she surprised the current cast of Beautiful on Broadway over the weekend. Uh, she came and said that she'd heard such great reviews of Melissa Benoist in the show. She decided to fly into New York from her home in Idaho and surprise the cast as she has wont to do in the past. Um, a really nice uh, couple of videos from uh, from an audience member um, with her talking about the show, talking about the performance. Um, she said that. Um, she was watching one of the songs and she was tapping her foot like she does when she plays the piano when she plays that song. And she looked up and Melissa Benoist was doing the exact tapping that she always did, which is not like just the normal like in time, but it was something unique. And so she thought that that was an amazing connection. They were even though it's probably not something that Melissa was doing on purpose, um, it, it showed how connected they were in that. So that was nice. There's also a video of her and her daughter backstage um, talking about seeing the show. But then the other video that uh, I'm imagining many, many people will love. It actually comes from the Twitter account of Kiala Settle, who apparently went to the Hollywood Bowl on Sunday night to see Annie. And then afterwards, hung out with some of the uh, the cast, including the one and only Miss Leia Salonga. And I don't know where they went. It looks like they're at some restaurant that has a piano, <laughs> karaoke. And Leia Salonga decided, hey, why not? I'm going to sing the song Reflection from Mulan because – she is the singing voice of Mulan. Um, so it's really fantastic. Uh, I saw Andy Mantis tweet as well that obviously his husband, Michael Arden, directed it. Apparently, they busted out some um, some Les Mis because he played Marius. Uh, Kiala played uh, Madame Tenardier. Leia, of course, has played like nine roles in the show. Jenna Ushkowitz um, has played, I don't know, was it Cosette or something? So they apparently did some Les Mis singing as well. No video of that's popped up yet, but I would love it if they did. So check those videos out there a lot of fun oh that's great i love that so uh what other news do we have just uh just real quick here yesterday rehearsals began for the new musical king kong it's going to uh begin performances on october 5th interesting that they have more than two months about about nine weeks of rehearsals uh before it begins on broadway for obvious reasons opening night is scheduled for november 8th at the broadway theater uh christiana pitts uh eric william morris and eric lochtefeld are the leads in the show james this is one i'm completely and utterly taken by the idea of this show I have no idea if it's going to be any good. Probably not. But I want to see it, and I want to see what they do with this ape. So, knock on wood, I, I'm it, I'm hooked, so I'm in. Um, so that's really exciting. And then also yesterday, uh, the cast of Hamilton announced that on Saturday, August 4th, from 5.15 to 7.15 p.m. in front of the Richard Rogers Theater, they, would be, they will be hosting a voter registration drive. Obviously, uh, New York State and local primaries will be held on September 13th, with a deadline to register being August 19th, just a little more than two weeks after this voter registration drive. Members of the cast who participate in the registration will have, uh, will have previously been trained by voter registration volunteers, so they will actually be the ones to register you to vote if you want to head over to the Rogers uh, on, uh, I guess that's this Saturday, isn't it? Oh, my God. August 4th, this Saturday. So very cool thing. Obviously, from Lynn all the way down, the the all the productions of Hamilton have been very socially conscious and responsible. So this is just another way um, in a very non-political way to make an impact on their community. Everybody remember, broadwayvotes.com. Yeah. All right. So, Matt, uh, why don't you get us out of here? <laughs> like, just type broadwayanything.com and see where it takes you. Uh, yes. Uh, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Broadway Anything. 
thing. <laughs> Do you own that? No, I don't own it. Not yet. All right. My name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com and BroadwayAnything.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us. <laughs> and uh, Matt will be with you tomorrow. Oh, yeah. 